Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is our old buddy, Dr. Eric Feigelding, the epidemiologist and senior fellow with the Federation of American Scientists, the first whistleblower on the COVID pandemic, formerly a faculty member and researcher at the Harvard Medical School and the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. One of the best people to follow on Twitter, period. Uh, particularly on health issues and things. Uh, E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G. Dr. Eric Ding is the Twitter handle for Dr. Feigelding. Dr. Feigelding, welcome back to the program. I wanted to talk with you about complacency around COVID and monkeypox. And let me start with the monkeypox thing because the breaking headline at the top with a bright red banner in the Washington Post just 10 minutes ago was first monkeypox case found in Virginia. Um, when, when this started a, a few weeks ago, I, I didn't, frankly, cover it on this program because I thought, eh, this is, you know, a, an obscure disease. It's going to be easily handled. It seems not to be that big a deal. Um, and everybody is getting hysterical about it. You want to do a reality check for us, please? Yeah, monkeypox, uh, it creeps up on you. Uh, and this is very different than you know, monkeypox traditionally. There's a lot of people who hand wave, oh, this is something that's it's a milder form of smallpox. And, oh, a lot of people have immunity, except anyone under 50 does not. Oh, you know, it's, it's not that transmissible. But I think something's clearly changed because anything that you draw conclusions on before is just simply not true anymore, given that you have a simultaneous multi-country outbreak and cases have been uh, literally increasing um, like from just a handful to now hundreds. Like I think we're approaching like 300 uh, suspected cases and rising. And this was just like less than 100 last Friday. And so I think this is where, you know, that we have to have caution because the numbers are soaring. And the incubation time for this is very long. It's not like COVID where it's like three to five, six days. Um, you, This virus shows up o- only about like two weeks, sometimes as much as three weeks after you get it. Whoa. And, uh, you know, it's not as transmissible. It's not as airborne as COVID for sure. That's why, you know, it's it, the pandemic alarms have not gone off yet. But it's clearly spreading worldwide in a fashion that, you know, we have never seen before and uh, for a virus like this. And in certain ways, we know this is new, it's, it's different, it's at 50 mutations from uh, the traditional strain, and we don't really know what that means. It may be transmissible, more transmissible, more transmissible more ways, but uh, in severity, you know, uh, the West African uh, strain has traditionally 1% mortality, uh, but is it gonna be higher, different? Because this is very different than before. And it is spreading very quickly. And now wildfire in certain European countries. Now in the U.S., it's slow, but it's creeping up, as you know, with another stay after another finding it. I remember well the AIDS crisis of the late 1970s and throughout the 1980s when Reagan refused to even mention the word and and, uh, gay men were dying. I knew people. Two very close friends of mine died from AIDS during that time. It was horrible. And one of the stories that I saw a week or so ago about the monkeypox was that it seemed to be largely being transmitted among gay men. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, here, here we go again with uh, another one of these. Well, let's not even pay attention to something because, A, it's a minority, but, B, it's, a, for many parts of America, a, a hated minority, sadly. Is that the case? And if so, is, are the politics around 
gender and homophobia affecting this? Or was that, uh, you know, just some weird report that I saw in the Drudge Report? There are a lot of cases that are right now LGBT men. The issue is, is this simply an artifact of better surveillance? Because in certain ways, this this monkeypox early on resembles herpes and syphilis. And we know that LGBT groups have much higher testing and screening rates. Like you have any type of rash or anything similar to herpes and syphilis, boom, you get tested immediately. As opposed to other people who have rashes, it doesn't get picked up immediately. But this is again, an early on thing. We'll find out very soon. But so even if it's say sexually transmitted, um, we know that HIV does not care about your LGBT status. Right. And it's mostly just close contact, close contact between any one. There's cases of transmission between spouses, for example, mm-hmm. and other close uh, relatives. You know, traditionally, um, monkeypox, you've also found that nurses who was changing the bed sheets of a patient after the patient was so gone. So it sounds like contact with bodily fluids or yes, maybe even shaking fluids, hands kind of thing. Contact, yes. Yeah. And by the way, we don't even check blood uh, right now. We don't have any blood-borne precautions. We're not screening the, our blood donation supply for monkeypox yet. And also, if, if someone has an accident or s- like you have a blood spill or some sort of blood stain on a basketball court, you know, traditionally you just kind of like just mop it up and but if it is bloodborne you know if it's std born it's this virus is also fluid born and and um, bloodborne we don't have enough precautions around that yet and again this is something that it's a slow creep because the incubation time is two weeks and as at high as three weeks from the time you kind of get it to the time you show actual right symptoms. and that was one of the problems and with it, hiv was that the incubation time could be a month or more Exactly. And again, the LGBT thing could be simply an artifact of early testing. Right. That's the, that's right. the right. most aggressive. So let's, let, from monkeypox to COVID, uh, increasingly I'm hearing from friends and neighbors that they're now testing positive for COVID and it was like a bad cold. We had the super spreader event at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And to the best of my knowledge, nobody ended up hospitalized as a result of that, even though some of the most high profile people in America, Nancy Pelosi, tested positive. Is that because the strain, This I understand there's a new strain, a B12, that has now constituted something like 58% of cases in the United States. Is that because that strain is less virulent, or is that because that third shot seems to be the, the magic shot? I, you know, Pfizer has now come out and said three shots with children appears to work, and they're trying to get, you know, under five approval for that. Or is it something else? What's going on right now? And are we in danger of complacency as a consequence of this? So my my approach is, you know, precautionary principle really matters. And I think complacency is inherently something that gets us in trouble a lot during the pandemic. So White House Correspondent Dinner, by the way, it's the most privileged 2,600 people that we know on this planet, uh, in this country. And of course, they were required to have boosters. And they are so privileged that most of them have HEPA filters at home and also have infinite access to monoclonal antibodies and Paxlovid. It, that's a very unusual group. But we knew, do know there's a large outbreak among them. Um, I won't say who, but there are a lot of people, e- even in the very high-level circles um, of the wireless correspondent who got it. But this is the thing. If you're boosted... Um, the chance of going to the hospital or dying is next to nil. It's, but, the, but the issue is most of America is not boosted, uh, and especially with also with four shots. We also have waning, of course. And most of America do not have um, instantaneous, overnight, uh, same-day access to drugs like Paxlovid or monoclonal antibodies or able to afford them. And, uh, and the U.S., by the way, is running out of money to subsidize them and monoclonal antibodies it's not even though it's subsidized it's not entirely free so i think in many ways Amer- everyday americans not nearly as boosted not nearly as much hepa filters not nearly as much testing not nearly as much access to these drugs and afford affordability of these drugs and i always remind people you know even if boosters you know they prevent you from dying like let's just take a bridge for example the bridge is not going to collapse and you, you've closed two lanes of a four-lane highway in terms of transmission, you're still allowing a lot of virus across this bridge. Like, you mm-hmm. can't virus. 
And I always tell people, between two viruses, one more contagious and less severe, and one more severe and less contagious, it's the less severe, more contagious virus that will ultimately kill more people. And I think that's the thing. Like, the, you you going now, people are feeling so invulnerable. They're going down to more and more parties and, and inherently uh, spreading the virus more. And unfortunately, that breeds more variants and will send a lot of pe- more people to the hospital. And we have seen hospitalizations increase about 30% in the last two weeks. So right. we have to be very careful. It, it does sound like what you're saying is for people who are vaccinated and boosted, and particularly double boosted, people over 50, this isn't such a crisis that the real crisis is a public health crisis that we haven't adequately vaccinated, boosted our population, yeah. prepared a public health system that can deal with people who, who might be immune compromised or get sick, really sick from this. Do I, do I have that right? We do not have public health or medical system right now that's adequate for lay everyday Americans who have not gotten boosted who do not wear masks, who do not have instantaneous access to a doctor to get Paxlovid prescription or monoclonal antibodies. For the very, very privileged, they're fine. But for everyday Americans, they're not. And then the same thing happened to HIV. Once uh, the HIV drug cocktails, the wonder cocktails arrived, the privileged Americans just moved on. But the unprivileged Americans and, and the rest of the world, HIV still continues to ravage around the world. And I just want to remind those people that, you know, the, the B2121 variant, as well as the B4, B5 variants, they are spreading still worldwide and they are much more transmissible and much more evasive. So please, please be vigilant, be cautious and think of others, not just yourself. Yeah. We just have 10 seconds. Are there any other variants of concern on the horizon? Well, the B2121, it's the rising one, but there's also B4 and B5 from South Africa, but also uh, rising faster than B2121 in the UK, and they are rising very quickly. So we'll see how what that takes us. We'll check in with you again on this. Uh, Dr. Eric Feigelding, follow him on Twitter at Dr. Eric Ding, D-R-E-R-I-C-D-I-N-G. Dr. Feigelding, thanks so much. Stay safe. Always great talking with you. Thank you. Crazy alert for you. Remember, (laughs) her name is Dr. Emanuel. She was promoting hydroxychloroquine and all this kind of stuff. So there's this new thing called the Reawaken America Tour. And uh, some people in the press have described it as QAnon 2.0, but it's, it's a bunch of people who are traveling around the country. And she is one of the spokespersons. And what she is saying is that uh, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi are not human. This is a variation on, you know, I remember years ago, (laughs) David Icke's telling us that, as I recall, that Bill Clinton zipped on his human suit every morning. So she says, until we start realizing that we are dealing with creatures that are not human. You keep thinking people like Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are human. I don't know where their human selves are. And then she goes, but the Bible says the devil will deceive the people of this world to create these images. The devil will deceive them that if you die, you're going to live forever. And then we'll clone you and download your brain to the Internet of Things. And then we're going to upload your brain back into that clone and you live forever. This is the latest traveling merry band of Donald Trump groupies. It's getting weird out there, my friends. It's getting weird. Okay, let's pick up your phone calls. Tom in Huntington Beach, California. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Hey, love your work. Thank Uh, you. This weekend, a Republican female senator, I'm not sure of her name, said all of the District Columbia's power comes from burning fetuses. Now, that's just so wild. I'm wondering, can we get some kind of public safety hearing for these guys just to ask them their version of reality and get it under oath to show how crazy they are? And then when they do say crazy things, because use language like that, Tom, on the air. I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, spot on. Yeah. And I I, frankly, I don't recall which member of Congress it was who said that, but I do recall reading the story about it last Friday, I think it was. It's just bizarre. I don't think that you can pull them before Congress, but they are being outed in the media, and that's a good thing. CJ in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, CJ, what's on your mind today? You know, we are living in a Democrat world right now. Our president and vice president campaigned on handling these issues, I'd say they're far from handled. 
um, both foreign and domestic issues are hurting um, the lower income people. Inflation is a tax increase on lower income people, and it hurts them more than anybody. And uh, you were speaking of public education. Um, I'm a Republican, and I believe in performance. And um, it took COVID to happen to find out exactly what kids are being taught, social issues. And uh, here's a statistic for you. 85% of Milwaukee kids uh, in their school system cannot read at their grade level. Well, that's a failure. And changes need to be made. Kids need to be taught reading, writing, and arithmetic. I'm with you, CJ. I am with you. I think that we need to stop siphoning public money away from our public schools and into religious and charter schools, particularly the for-profit ones, like in many of the ones associated with the DeVos family, and, and bring our public schools back to the standards that we had in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s before Reagan started his attack on public education. I'm with you. On inflation, yes, you're absolutely right. Inflation is a terrible tax on everybody. Um, I'm wondering why you're blaming it on Biden when it's worse in the European Union than it is here. Uh, because Biden was warned what was going to cause inflation. He doesn't listen to his advisors. Well, no, he you know what's causing inflation, CJ. The price of oil is $100 a barrel. The last time that happened was the 1970s, <laughs> and, and we too. got inflation. No, he didn't cause that. Donald Trump's son-in-law went over and negotiated with Mohammed bin Salman to cut Saudi oil production by 2.2 million barrels a day, and it has not gone back up. Uh, bin Salman refuses to do it. He's loving the fact that he's hurting the Democrats, number one. Number two, you've got the bounce back from, from COVID. And number three, you've got Shanghai. The port of Shanghai is closed. They're not shipping goods. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why inflation is hitting the United States. It's hitting India. It's hitting Australia. It's hitting Taiwan. It's hitting South Korea. None of them are run by Joe Biden. Yeah, but this one is the one that said he was going to solve these issues. So tell me Remember, the nation that has solved the inflation problem that we can learn from, CJ. Um, pardon me? Tell me the nation that has solved the inflation problem that the entire world is experiencing right now that we can learn from. <laughs> I'm serious. You want to, oh, you want to criticize nice Biden? Deflection. Offer me an alternative. What's your, what's your solution, CJ? How about uh, how about every other issue? What other issue want to discuss? Well, no, this was the one that you brought up. You said you said that inflation is Biden's problem. It's and I agree, it is his problem. You said he caused it. I think that that's nonsense. What has he done to try to fight it, Tom? He he is trying to. Well, first of all, he. On day you one, gonna, he went are you to let me finish? our energy. You asked a question. He, he's opened, he's, he's, he's put a million barrels of oil a day on the market by opening the, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which has dropped the price of gas probably by about 20 or 30 cents a gallon. Although, you know, still he's going up against Mohammed bin Salman. Um, he's, yeah, day, day, I, one, the f- day one, go ahead. our oil reserve. He's using our oil. He has never attacked our oil reserves. The oil industry has over 9,000 licenses to drill that they are not using. No, the oil industry has. No, they're, they're, they're trying to grab more and more that they're not even using. They're trying to plan for 10 and 20 years down the road. CJ, you need to check your facts here. I'm sorry. You're just flat out wrong. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. 
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Rhonda in Birmingham, Alabama. Hey, Rhonda, what's on your mind today? I'm a first time caller, Tom. Well, thank you, Rhonda. Um, but I- <laughs> You're welcome. I listen to your show. Um, my husband is a huge fan. Tell so him I said hi. sometimes I'm actually sitting and watching and listening, and sometimes I, I hear something and I'll come and sit down and listen to it. But I would like to, I've had a bad experience since the beginning of January. I've been, I've had some emergency surgery and then followed up by three um, additional surgeries. So, Four times I've been in the hospital since the first of the month. Wow. And I'm a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. Health care has gone down so bad that um, I'm ashamed to even call myself a nurse when I see what has happened. And doctors are not held accountable. I have found out that there's a whole system um, inside the hospital that actually protects the doctors. Right. They may get a little scolding for missing something or a little talk to, so to speak, but the public doesn't know that. So anyone else that goes like to the surgeon that I went to is not going to know how many mistakes he made um, because I should have not had, I shouldn't have had any of those hospitalizations. It all started with that one doctor. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I had a surgery, the the doctor screwed up and I ended up two weeks later in the hospital nearly dead. I mean, literally nearly dead. Yes, I'm lucky to be alive. Yeah. I mean, extremely lucky. My first surgery took four hours, a little over four hours and three surgeons. I'm ADD like you are, so when you talk about ADD and I see your books sometimes. <laughs> okay. Rhonda, do you think that the problem is, is particularly worse in Alabama? I mean, you're a nurse there in Alabama. Is, or do you think that this is just a nationwide problem? Of, I think it's nationwide, and I think yeah. you have to look at the way that they are recruiting nurses now. And I'm talking about students of nursing or high school students or people without work. They have decreased the amount of time that it takes to become a nurse, to the shortened programs. It all sounds great, but I'm here to tell you, if you don't have a good nurse, you're, you're doomed. Well, isn't there a bigger There's problem a with the nurse-patient ratio in hospitals? Um, what did you say? What was your question? I said, isn't there a bigger problem with the nurse-to-patient ratio in hospitals? My understanding is that before, you yes. know, back 30 years ago, when most hospitals were nonprofit, you had an average of 15 to one patients to you know to one nurse, and now in some hospitals it's 30 to one. Well, and it and it and there are other ratios as well. Like the sicker or the more critical that some patients are, med surge patients in particular. Um, the ratio should drop down. Um, if you ring for a nurse, you're lucky if they ever come. And then if you ring again, you know, it still might be a good 30 minutes. Yeah. I had the worst experience. I mean, and they would be sweet. They're yeah. sweet as pie when they come in the room, and you can't hardly say anything to them because they start out with, I'm sorry it took me so long to get here. But we're so short. Right. But In other words, it's a broken not, system, Rhonda. It, it is a healthcare is absolutely a broken system, and the education. Everybody better get ready, because they've got nursing programs now that you can finish in ten months. Ten months. Wow. You cannot possibly cram that much information inside someone's head to come into a hospital setting and be able to um, appropriately deliver medical care and treatment yeah, I get to it. a patient. I get it. It is, we're, we're headed for some scary, it's already scary. Yeah. Look what happened to me. I get and it. And it is. And me too. It's going to get worse. Rhonda, I got to run, but thank you for the call. And great first call. Thank you very much. Sarah in Seattle. Hey, Sarah, what's up? Hi, Tom. You have so many hallelujah moments. Thank you. 
I'm calling about depressants and tardive dyskinesia. Uh I've been on antidepressants for years. I've gone off several. It is hell going off certain ones. And I think there should be a a department in medical schools for getting off of medications because so little is known about it and it's got so many consequences. I I absolutely agree. If if I could, real quickly, one of my kids uh, works in addiction medicine. And uh, I, I don't want to speak for her, but uh, you know, I'm continually amazed by how little I, I, people in the field know about this. And and you know, one of one of the concerns she's expressed to me in the past is you know how many of her colleagues, um, you know, physicians, nurses, PAs, whatever, um, just view addiction or you know, whether it's uh, addiction to illegal drugs or whether it's addiction to prescription drugs as a moral failing rather than as a medical problem. Back to you, sir. Yeah, it's just a big problem. And then my hallelujah moment is about tardive dyskinesia, which Mm -hmm. I've had for about eight years. I wake up every night with a twitch in my leg, and it Mm -hmm. twitches incessantly. And I've tried a lot of things, and the last thing I've tried has helped. And it's um, Feldenkrais treatment, which for me was totally woo-woo out there. But somebody told me who new to try it and after 10 treatments it has it's been cut back by i'd say three quarters of what i had whoa yeah moisha feldenkrais was a genius yeah i mean his, his i guess so his techniques go so way beyond physical therapy and chiropractic um it's uh it's great stuff well that's great sarah yeah, thank so you I for just, calling and sharing I hope that some people are listening with tardive dyskinesia and we'll try that there you go okay Uh, It has been passed along. Thank you, Sarah. I can't endorse it, but it's been passed along. And Feldenkrais is good stuff. Suzanne in Dublin, Ohio. Hey, Suzanne, what's on your mind today? Was just wondering if you have heard or, you know, it bothers me every time the Republicans are talking about cutting taxes. If maybe the Democrats could message, uh, hang on to your wallet, because every time they cut the taxes, they you know, they're, what they want to do is to not have enough money to fund the social programs of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. And by not having money for Medicare, I mean, that crosses, that'll affect everyone, not just the elderly, because then we have less money for Medicare for all. Uh, the Medicaid will help both hurt disabled and the less fortunate. And uh, I just think that the Democrats should message that, you know, when the Republicans talk about cutting your taxes, hang on to your wallet. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree. And, and I, this goes back to the two Santa Claus theory that Jude Winiski laid out back in the 1970s in the Wall Street Journal. Um, he said, you know, Republicans have always been worried about budget deficits. But when a Republican president is in power with a Republican Congress, they should run up the budget deficit as hard and as fast as they can so that, A, it'll stimulate the economy and people will think a good economy is associated with the Republicans. And B, when Democrats come into office, they can start screaming through the rooftops about how bad the budget deficit is and force the Democrats to shoot their Santa Claus, Social Security and Medicare, and cut back on social spending. And uh, Sorry, Ronald, Ronald. The question, you've got to go. Yeah. Have you ever heard of Ralph Nader's book, uh, The Social Security Crisis? The I have. I haven't read it. I talked to Ralph on the I, phone over I, the weekend, but I haven't. I haven't read his book. Oh, oh. Yeah. I, I, all the, I, I, I want to understand that more, but it was so technical, I couldn't get through the numbers. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm sorry, I haven't read it, Suzanne. Ralph's a really good guy, though. Charlotte in San Diego. Hey, Charlotte, what's up? I've been on SSRIs for over 20 years, mm-hmm. and um, I'm diagnosed as bipolar. Mm-hmm. And um, if and I'm not only on Zoloft, I'm also on a drug an anti, that's actually labeled use as, as an anticonvulsive. Mm-hmm. But my psychiatrist put me on that because of it levels my mood. So you're um, one of those people for so, whom these drugs actually work. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Good. I'm saying Good. they I'm work. Glad to hear and, that. I, and I've gone. I'm gone off of them, and I've had no problems except my depression comes back. Uh-huh. But I have no problems with brain, and I feel bad for your wife and the other people that are calling because that's serious. And, yeah. I, and I had a, a sort of that kind of reaction when I was on tricyclics, 
and I took an MAO inhibitor, and I ended up at New Year's Eve in the ICU with uh, nearly had a stroke because my blood pressure went up so high because I took uh, a um, diet pill. Yeah, those are and dangerous you, you combinations. Oh, very much so. And my head nearly blew off. The doctor said I, I just about had a stroke. Wow. And I was like 27 at the time. So I just want to say that for people that have actual biochemical depression, not situational depression like um, uh, their spouse died, um, I think that the, the SSRIs are beneficial mm -hmm. to a lot of people. I'm not saying to all people, but I don't want people that need help uh, to panic and think this couldn't be an option. I think they need to check into who's prescribing it, too. I agree with I'm you. Not sure that, I'm not sure agree. that general doctors have any real knowledge of how these drugs work and interact. Yeah, it should be and, psychiatrists. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I completely agree. And, and, and Charlotte, forgive my interrupting, but I heard that, you know, I could see that break was coming. Um, I, I completely agree. And I, I and I think that we need to start looking at these the same way we do benzo drugs, because there's still people taking Valium, you know, here 50 years later, 70 years later and opiates. There's still people taking opiates. It's not like we stop them or restrict them. We just be a little more careful, <laughs> you know, make sure the right people are getting them like you. Charlotte, thank you so much for the call. Great to hear from you. John in Seattle. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? I was pulled out an article on uh, about Lawrence Tribe. They wrote an article in the Washington Post, September 8, 2021, about uh, Merrick Garland, uh, that he has a, had a way of Merrick Garland dealing with uh, the Abortion Rights Act with the Texas, the way Texas has been um, dealing with the whole woman's health. Uh-huh. And it said here, Attorney General Merrick Garland should treat bounty hunting under SB-8 as a criminal deprivation of civil rights, leading to possible federal prosecutions under two sections of the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. Mm. That law was passed to protect the civil rights of previously enslaved Americans who were targeted for extrajudicial violence by white supremacist vigilantes. And uh, in an eight-to-one opinion by Chief Justice Warren Berger, no liberal himself, the Supreme Court 1982 held that such veto power could easily be invoked for religious, ideological, or illicit reasons that could well be undetected, making the scheme unconstitutional on its face. So it's a great article, and it's something that Merrick Garland mentioned that, or uh, Lawrence Tribe mentioned that Merrick Garland could do that if he wanted to. Well, and I haven't seen Merrick Garland do very much as far as protecting the people who are being, uh, you know, attacked at the schools. And, uh, um, you know, I heard, heard about a judge being shot you know, dealing with a case with abortion, and people just all around. I thought he had some kind of a uh, uh, task force set up to round these people up. I mean, it's getting out of hand, and, and I thought Merrick Garland was kind of going to do his job and get out there and, uh, you know, I haven't seen anybody get locked up for, uh, you know, violating people's rights. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would I would like to see Merrick Garland behaving more like Bobby Kennedy, you know, during the civil rights era and just going right into the states yeah. and, and bringing in federal troops or, or whatever it takes. Um, it's obviously not him. It's not what he's going to do. And yeah. you know, I think by extension, we can assume that it's not what Joe Biden wants, although Biden has been uh, has taken a very hands off approach to the DOJ, which I could argue either side of that. Herbert Hoover had a task force going, didn't he? And yeah. I mean, it seemed to work pretty well. He had a bunch of, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I just, with, with regard to, um, uh, with regard to Garland, uh, the one thing that we have to keep in mind, and I, it, maybe it's false hope, but it is yeah. that generally speaking, prosecutors don't talk about cases until they bring them. They don't they don't want to contaminate the jury pool. They don't want to screw up the witnesses. Uh, they don't want to put people on notice of what's coming to get them. 
And so the day that you learn that the, the Justice Department and Merrick Garland have been doing something is the day that they take somebody down. We'll see. Yeah, but there, I don't see any action happening with the threats that are being made. I agree. And I agree. It's sad it, because it I just me. cringe every time I go, where's Merrick Garland? Yeah, I'm with you. John, thank you. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Richard in Los Angeles, uh, watching on Free Speech TV. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind today? If um, pro-women's rights lawmakers could add to these abortion bills that child support starts at fertilization, would that slow them those bills down? I think it might. Um, you know, somebody called Congressman Khanna about that, and you know, pointing out that uh, if if these Republican legislators really believed that human life begins at conception that at the moment that a woman declares that she's pregnant, you'd think that they would want to rush in and provide her with health care and prenatal care and vitamins and make sure that she's going to have, you know, diapers and formula and everything else. And, but no, they, they do none of the above. Right? <laughs> from, their, from their point of view, human life begins at birth. And, and uh, you know, and that's kind of the legal, the legal status right now. So, I, you know, Richard, I, I think your point is well taken. And and it would be a good one for you know politicians to adopt. Thank you very much for that, John in uh, Lexington, Illinois. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I was coming up with slogans. I just heard the guy that talked about uh, the stickers on cars, mm -hmm. and you talk about the GOP death cult. My latest one is the GOP, the party of slow genocide for the American people. Yikes. I, you know, I, I, would be, I would be a little careful, not a little careful, I would be careful about using the word genocide, John, when you're not referring to an actual genocide. I mean, you know, there, there's, uh, I, I just, I don't want to weaken that word. Well, the reference is the slow genocide, and I believe right. Republicans with their stances are looking ahead to decades and just seeing what they want in society. Yeah, no, I get all that, but, but genocide, genocide kind of by, by definition is, is not slow. Um, but, you know, there's, there's got to be another word, you know, uh, uh, you know the, the party of the rich, the party of the elite. But, yeah, let me think about it. Okay, John, thank you. Destruction, maybe. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. That's a, a better replacement. Thank you. POV in Seattle. I have a couple of quick things I want to suggest to the entire listening audience and to our politicians who possibly might be listening to. And that is, uh, the first thing is the Supreme Court. I think we put too much into the Supreme Court by just by the terminology of the name. Supreme meaning above all. And with the... With I'm listening. Okay, all right. Uh, the Supreme Court, uh, they, it says, it basically says they're above all. And that they have the right to be there forever. I don't think any justice has the right to be in any position forever. I just don't see that. And secondly, uh, I don't. Uh, I, I think in terms of gun control, with all the gun deaths that are happening, mass shootings, 
The one thing that they're forgetting is that the Second Amendment gives people the right to carry arms, bear arms, but it does not give them the right to have bullets. Hmm. So I think if they, I think if bullet control was initiated, I think that would go a long way in slowing down some of these gun deaths that we have. I, I've been, you know, a lot of people have said that on this program over the years. Um, I've never seen anybody try to translate that into policy, but I think it's it's something worth considering. Pop, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. Lori in San Mateo, California. Hey, Lori, what's up? Hi. I wanted to, um, a lady called the other day and was mentioning how her large medical group was bombarding her with messaging to join Medicare Advantage plans. And I've been experiencing the same thing with the largest medic, uh, medical group in California. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happening is that these providers, the Advantage providers, are urgently ramping up so that they can get more members in case the Democrats are able to pass their vision and dental plan because that's what most people want. Could be. The, the vision, dental, and hearing protection uh, uh, assistance that they advertise on TV almost never exists. Um, you know, what you find is that you've got a discount card with your dentist, but your dentist has to be in network and you can get those discount right. cards on the internet for free, uh, number one. Or you find that, oh, oh yeah, we'll help you with a hearing aid, uh, but there's a, you know, a 50% copay yeah. and you can get one every 10 years or something like that. Or yes, we'll help you with the glasses, but you've got to buy them from Acme, you know, eyeglasses yeah. who has three frames. I mean, it's, it's, it's largely a scam. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there's some element of that. But the main thing is that Medicare Advantage is insanely profitable for health insurance companies. It, it was set up in a way to siphon. I mean, this, keep in mind, this was in 2003. This was George W. Bush's plan to privatize Medicare. It's, and we just need to be right up front about that. He ran for Congress in 1978 from Texas and lost, by the way, on the platform of privatizing Social Security and Medicare. When he got reelected in 2004, when he went on the road in 2005, in January, February, March of 2005, he, he was going to hit 20 some odd cities and, 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 you know, preaching the idea of privatizing Social Security now that he had started Medicare on the path to privatization with Medicare Advantage. And the more he did it, the more people disliked it. And so he abandoned the idea and moved on to other things. But this was, you know, Medicare Advantage was George W. Bush's plan to destroy Medicare. And it's working. And, Medi- and every single person who signs up for Medicare Advantage is more money being drained out of the Medicare system than would be draining if they had signed up for normal Medicare, number one. And number two, it is, like you say, it is strengthening these, these companies. If they can pass 50%, they're at 40% now of, of, of people on Medicare Advantage. The, the vast majority, by the way, who think that they're still on Medicare, they don't realize that they're in a position to be screwed by private for-profit or even non-profit health insurance uh, programs. Um, you know, at, at, a, at a certain point, if we try to do Medicare for all and Medicare has been privatized, you know, we're just taking ourselves back right. to 1980. Right. Um, but Tom, my, my point is that they're just ramping up their efforts like I've never seen before. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's huge I, profits to be made, Lori. Yeah. Huge profits to be made. I mean, yeah. we're talking billions of dollars. And, and uh, you know, I lay this, there's a whole chapter about this in my, in my book on American health care, The Hidden History of American Healthcare, about uh, this mind-boggling uh, scam that is Medicare Advantage and how they are scamming our federal government, how they're scamming the Medicare system. Um, extracting all kinds of see, it's not pay for service. If you if you uh, you know go to the doctor, Medicare doesn't reimburse the health insurance the Medicare Advantage company for you going to the doctor. Instead, they pre-reimburse them as soon as you sign up, based on what the insurance company tells them you're going to cost. And then the insurance company has an incentive to say no to everything right. you want to do because they've already been paid. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this is, it's, it's, and it's all over TV. In fact, I'm seeing the Medicare Benefits Hotline advertised on CNN right in front of me as we're speaking. Right. I mean, well, it's... Can, is there any, I was going to ask Mark Pocan, is there anything that can be done to curb there? You know, a lot of it's so misleading. Yeah. Oh, it is. And the only way to curb it is to change the law. That, that uh, 2003 Medicare in, Enhancement Act or whatever it was called that, that Bush got passed, needs to be changed and and that's that's the only way to do it Um, but Lori, thank you for the call it's it's great to hear from you and and (laughs) you you have you have uh, poked my pet peeve it's i i just it just blows my mind how these health insurance companies and big hospital groups are able to to just bleed medicare dry and rip us off and walk away with billions of dollars in profits Not to mention, you know, trillions of dollars in revenue. Ted in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Hey, Ted, what's up? 
speaking of Medicare uh, Advantage plans, whatever they're called, I'm in this town, the city where uh, Joe Namath was born, or at oh, least gee. went to high school. Yeah, the, the, the great hustler, yes. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing those commercials, and they have a plaque here for him, you know, historical plaque for you yeah. know, he went to high school here. Anyhow, that's not what I called about. Mm-hmm. Um, I called about the Mansion Cinema thing, and uh, I understand that they've, there's been talk of them switching parties. But I was thinking, is this, I don't know whether anybody suggested this, that maybe they think that uh, they should stick with uh, obstructing the Biden agenda. And then in 2022, when Congress goes to the Republicans, they can easily switch parties and be, be almost heroes. Could be. It, it could be. Yeah. If, if, they're, if either one of them are going to switch parties, uh, the, the time to do it would probably be after the 2022 elections if that switch in parties puts them in the majority again. And, right. Uh, yeah. They don't come up. They don't come up for election until 2025 again. Twenty twenty four is is uh, oh, is both of them. Oh, yeah. the election. I guess their term ends in twenty twenty five as well. Correct on January twenty. Yeah, and actually for the Senate, I think it's the first, the end of the first week of January. But whatever. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, so they can wait till after the election and see how it turns out. Yeah, and you know then they can do what they want. But anyhow, I just take the cynical point of view there. I I don't know how often people have talked about that. I don't get to hear every minute of every show. Yeah, no, it's it's good, Ted. I'm you know I'm with you, and, and I, I'm we'll see. I, you know, I I thought it was really uh, great to hear Mark Pocan today actually praising Joe Manchin, saying you know at least he's willing to work with us. We're willing to talk. And what what I wasn't hearing was a similar language about Kirsten Cinema. Um, I think that Congressman Pocan was being very careful not to you know call her out by name. Um, and I wasn't going to try and push him into that, uh, you know, just like why, you know, why, why shoot yourself in the foot? But it looks to me like uh, she has just sucked up to and is deeply in bed with uh, with the Koch network, this right wing billionaire network that that is running the Republican Party and is running more than a few Democrats. You know, Josh Gottheimer uh, is is sucking money out of these people, too. And he's on he was on TV this morning, you know, t- trying to talk over Stephanie Rule, talking about, you know, how. How wonderful all this stuff is that he's doing that's like, you know, uh, uh, you know, let's privatize this and let's not have that. And let me, but but he, even he is starting to talk about, well, we need to get both bills passed. I think Joe Biden, I think the Democratic Party, I think these guys are noticing that public sentiment has shifted in the last decade in particular. And, I you know, that's it. yeah, and people are just, uh, thank you, Ted, people are just not happy anymore with having members of Congress who answer to their to the donor class, to big corporations and billionaires, instead of to their voters. People are over it. People were over it, frankly, in 2016. It's why a lot of people voted for Donald Trump, because he said he was going to tax the rich and drain the swamp. He was lying, but hey, it got him elected. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Vivian in uh, La Puente, California. Hey, Vivian, what's on your mind today? Good morning, Tom. Hey. Thank you for taking my call. Can you hear me okay? I just fine, yes. Okay. Well, my uh, issue is with the the abortion. You know, uh, it can't be overturned. People out there need to do their best to keep it you know, on the books. When I was in my 20s, I had two uh, miscarriages. And uh, I needed to be calmed down by the nurse because, one, I did nothing to to start it, to create it. I did mm-hmm. nothing. I started bleeding. I went to the hospital. You know, they sat me down in a chair. It's like I was left there in the hallway. Then when they finally took me in, it was over, you know. And then upon release, you have to sign a document when you leave. And on the document, it states it right there, spontaneous abortion. Right, which is and the medical I term for miscarriage. Telling the nurse to take that word off, take it off, take it off. I was not going to sign it because it had that word. I did nothing. Right. 
Well, now we're getting reports, Vivian, from southern states. There was one I was reading yesterday, and I, my recollection is it was either Alabama or Mississippi, where women who are showing up at hospitals in the middle of miscarriages, active miscarriages, are being either turned away or the police are being called to determine if it was actually something that they induced. No, that can't be it. I mean, I know, but this is what they're doing. And this is yeah, the brave new America they and want I'm to bring us. I'm thinking of, of, of the poor women that have had endured miscarriages. These people, you have to wake up. If you're against abortion, you really have to go out there and fight. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree. That, sadly, we up. can't lobby the Supreme Court. So this, this battle is almost yeah. certainly going to be uh, a first and foremost in the states. And then, of course, if the Republicans seize control of the House and Senate, uh, this fall or in 2024, it's going to be a federal battle because they've already said they're going to have a, a national ban on abortion. Um, so, you know, it's it not, now is the time to get involved. In, yes. and, and within the yes. next few months, a lot of states are going to be closing the window to register to vote. So you need to make sure that you're registered to vote. And if oh, you're yes. in a state yes. with a Republican secretary of state, you're in California, so you don't have this problem. But if you're in a state with a Republican secretary of state, now that the Supreme Court back in 20, what was it, 2018, I think it was, Ohio, was sued for purging Democrats and black people off the voting rolls intentionally, specifically, you know, caging, sending out postcards to them. And when they didn't come back, removing them from the rolls. That is now being done in every red state in the union right now. So if you're in a red state, be very careful and double check your voter registration. Vivian, thank you for the call. You said it very well. Christine in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Hey, Christine, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Um, there were just two things that I wanted to say about Budapest, about Hungary. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my son and daughter-in-law lived there for almost two years. They went over to work for the Central European University, uh, the George Soros University there. The and one that got run out of town by, there, by Orban. Right, right. Orban kicked them right out of the country, and uh, they, the university... It decided that they were going to move Vienna, and of course Vienna is very expensive. Right. So the kids decided to go to Rome instead. But the but the time that they were in Budapest was the time that the Syrians were having you know all of that trouble in Aleppo and everything. And the train came in. We saw it right into the platform where thousands and thousands of immigrants were trapped there. They wouldn't let them off the train. They wouldn't give them anything. They, I mean, people went about their day actually looking at these trains full of people right in the heart of Budapest, you know, crying out that they weren't allowed to do anything about it. It was just awful. I can't imagine. And Orban has since put them in concentration camps. Exactly. Oh, exactly. And he was in the papers saying they were filthy, they were being bringing disease. I mean, and the Syrians are just the loveliest people. And they were being vilified just exactly the way Trump did when he came down and said that there were rapists and murderers coming across the border. So that was exactly the same thing that Orban did over there before Trump came down that elevator and and real quick the second thing i hear the music the second thing i wanted to say is that the republicans will never go for what orban did because orban actually supports family i mean with the whole shebang yeah yeah he there they do have a welfare state thank you tom hartman visit tomhartman.com for audio and video archive i wonder to what extent uh, orban's support for families in hungary is is mandated essentially by his membership in the european union that would be an interesting question Jeff in Gary, Indiana. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Didn't the Las Vegas shooting of 57 people demonstrate that semi-automatic weapons are machine guns, and shouldn't they be regulated that way? Yeah, what he had done was... Uh, and, and, and I know what he had done. I'm, I'm a weapons specialist veteran. Well, I'm, I'm saying this uh, for the benefit of people who don't know what we're talking about. Um, he had put what's called a bump stock on his gun, which is where the recoil of the shot... 
basically sets up the, you know, pulls the trigger for the next shot and turns a semi-automatic weapon into a fully automatic weapon functionally, right? Am I, do I have that right, Jeff? Exactly correct. And a person with a fast finger can fire an AR-14 with its small caliber round as, as quick, actually more quickly than a 50 caliber machine gun can fire. Right, because there you've got a larger bullet and it takes a longer time to get it into the chamber. Um, so what's the point that you're trying to make? They're machine guns, semi-automatic weapons. Oh. Guns, uh, pistols, and rifles are machine guns. And if a, if a revolver or a bolt-action rifle had been used in Buffalo, a shameful shooting, one one fourth or one third of the rounds could have been gotten off. And the aim isn't good. Um, it it upsets the frame of the pistol or pulls the pulls the rifle barrel away. I absolutely agree, Jeff. I mean, you know, if we want to go with the uh, Scalia originalist thought that, you know, we should just do this the way the founders did, uh, people should only be allowed to buy muskets, you know, which takes 10 minutes to, to load with the powder and, and, and a ball. But, but the regulation, uh, I'm, the regulation I'm of the opinion very strongly that semi-automatic weapons should be banned in the United States. Well, that's right, because they're machine guns. And the, and the regulation of machine guns will do if they are denominated in that way. Can yeah. I mention something else? Very quickly. I'm a veteran. All my veteran friends vote Democratic, and I have a large circle of friends, most of whom are not Democratic. I mean, uh, not veterans. And those are the fellows that uh, are, you know, are the problem Republicans. And one last thing. Uh, social forecasting by uh, Bob Prechter, who writes socionomic theory, taught in many universities, particularly in England and so on and so forth. That social forecasting is wonderful. It's long term and it's remarkable. Socionomics uh, will get you there. And thanks for mentioning Philando Castile. That was the hardest one for me. Yeah. I'm from St. Paul. Yeah. The, the, he, he was the guy who said, I have a concealed weapon. I have a permit. I'd like to reach into my pocket, pull out my wallet and show you the permit. The cop says, OK. He reaches for his pocket and the cop shoots him dead. Right. And his, his young, the young girl he was raising with his girlfriend in the backseat. Daddy, yeah. I'm here with you. And and she's talking as fast as she can to keep from getting shot as he bleeds out. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, that was that was grim. Jeff, thank you. Thank you very much for the thank call. You. Spot on. John in San Francisco. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Back in October, the um, uh, Hungarian national uh, soccer team uh, was uh, had, had an event in Budapest. Um, it was mid-October, and I think it was a Saturday night, where the entire audience was banned from uh, entering the stadium because FIFA, the uh, managing body of uh, soccer around the world, uh, canceled their or punished them for um, using uh, racial songs and abusing um, uh, uh, opposition players for being uh, other ethnicities. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is how fascists <laughs> roll. Yeah, and it didn't get any coverage. I watch the European Nations Cup every four years, and I watch in two years in between, they have the uh, World Cup, mm -hmm. and I love it. And you know, it's, I totally enjoy it. It's you know, it's it's nations versus nations with a ball. You know, sure, what, what could be perfect uh, peaceful event? But um, uh, the the other thing I wanted to point out is is uh, George Soros back in the early '90s when. Uh, Serbia was uh, taking, it was bombing uh, Croatia and everybody else and doing all the really bad stuff they did. Um, Soros bought a 300,000 gallon water tank to store in a tunnel above Sarajevo to give people, you know, access to water because they were, they mm -hmm. were starving to death. Everything had been cut off and, you know, they were, they were doing what uh, they were doing in, in Mariupol for the last couple of months. They cut everybody off, and uh, and Soros brought in a three hundred thousand gallon water tank, and he never gets credit for that. Hmm. All they talk about is oh, evil George Soros. Nobody even knows what he does. He's done a lot of good. He's done a lot of good yeah. around the world. 
Um, I, I have a lot of admiration for George Soros. I, I met him once. He's, he's, he's quite a man. He's an extraordinary man. And uh, uh, finally, when you, when you uh, talk about private education and how it makes peons out of all of us, it makes for a more malleable, desperate population, which is exactly what the uh, ruling class wants. Remember Donald wanted- Trump saying, we love the uneducated? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's who our stock and trade is. Yeah. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, and have a good weekend, and thanks for what you do. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, John. Uh, Jeff in Portland. Hey, Jeff. Uh, got a minute here to the break. A quick one? Uh, yeah. Well, um, let's hope uh, Jessica, Jessica Cisneros can uh, win in Texas on Amen. Tuesday. Um, to start with, but um, you know, Tom, uh, you, you, you had a you mentioned a New York Times article uh, earlier in the week that we could have saved uh, 900,000 lives here from COVID had we acted like Australia. And reading that piece, it struck me that the, what the writer was describing is the difference between a we society like they have there or in Canada and a me society as we have here in the U.S. You know, not only do they have national a national healthcare system, but they have mandatory voting. Um, so, you know, the the question is, Tom. What has kept America from becoming a we society as opposed to a me society? And I say it's racism. So to be anti-fascist, you have to be anti-racist to start with. Um, That's why the GOP knows this. They want to ban books, but not guns. Um, Your thoughts, Tom? I think you're absolutely right, Jeff. I think you are absolutely right. And, And at the basis of every fascist ideology, and frankly, every fascist government in history, you will find racism. Absolutely. It's one of the original sins, along with greed. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.